Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 377. Slow and steady today. My name is Caleb Hegg. Knowing why he's slow and steady, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to give the reveal, but I'm Rob Benhoff. There was a time one time I was at the Society of Biblical Literature and I interviewed a very prominent scholar. I'm not going to mention the scholar because I don't want him to be upset if it ever gets out. But he revealed to me after the interview that he had just had knee surgery and was very, very loopy on pain medication. And uh, I currently understand his, his, state of, his state of being at that point in time. You had knee surgery? No. I did have surgery, though. I had oral surgery. Ouch. So, I know. Yeah. But uh, you know what? That's okay. I'm feeling so unsteady. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave it at that. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the show. And uh, we have a <laughs> last-minute show put together, but guess what? It's going to be a good one, I think. I want to welcome everybody that's in the chat room. I also want to bring up our producers. Let's do that first. There are our producers. And uh, we got some emails this past past week asking when our next producer credit is, is going to drop. And the reason why, let me shut this just a little bit. The reason why is because we actually didn't have a winter uh, producer credit. And uh, that's okay. We were going to do a t-shirt. I think it was... We due didn't. to global warming. <laughs> no, I'm yes, sorry. <laughs> that's right. No, it's uh, it it's it is what it is, and that's that totally so fine. Bad. We're that not we're so not worried bad. about it, but uh, we are excited that uh, that people are are themselves excited to uh, to <laughs> get the next. Caleb, everything producer. Everything credit. you're saying, I'm totally thinking that of like Percocet is doing the talk. So there you go. Just, Yep. It, it is what it is. Hey, that's when that's what happens when people rip teeth out of your mouth. Uh, but that's okay. Ah, uh, yeah. All right. Um, now that our producers are off the screen, uh, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. And if you forget that, just sing the song. Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us, shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at resource.com. And actually, that is the reason that we have our topics today is because people have written us emails. Also, don't forget to check out TorahResource.com. Oh, that's Messiah Matters. MessiahMatters.com is where you can find all of our past shows. And, of course, TorahResource.com is where you can find all sorts of great resources, including free articles, um, books, videos, all sorts of stuff. So go there and check that out. And finally, last but not least, please do subscribe. And if you are already subscribed, please press the like button. Somebody asked me this past week, why press the like button? Well, I'll tell you why. Because YouTube has what's called an algorithm, and if you, the more likes you get, the more shares you get, the more subscriptions you get, the more they actually share your video. So the reason that it helps us for you to subscribe and to like the video is because it will actually then put it in front of more people, and the more people it's in front of, the more likes it'll get. All that kind of stuff. And the more hate mail we will get. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. Actually, we Which, got, yeah, so Bobby in the chat room says, yeah, If you I, don't like us, like us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Bobby in the chat room says, I just called for the first time today. I got your, uh, I got your message this morning, Bobby. Thank you for that. And uh, we will probably talk about that next week. I did not have time to put that in the rotation. So patience, my friend, patience. Let's, uh, let's go back nice. to our, Thanks, Bobby. let's go I'm back to our to. old friend, our old friend, Nelda Bell. Nelda wrote in again, and uh, she says this. She says, now, it, when I say our old friend, uh, for those who have not been with us for the past, I don't know, three or four episodes, uh, Nelda Bell has been a, uh, has had something said on the, uh, on this program through email uh, for the past, I, I think, three episodes. And uh, she's she's got some great questions and some great comments. And so we're going to keep going. She, this one, she's, and this is kind of going to be a theme because we actually have three different things Plus her name, come on, face it, her name's fun to say. Nelda Bell, that's right. Um, But we have three comments, three different comments on the Sabbath. And so she's going to kick us off today. She says, good morning, Rob and Caleb. So work friends have been listening to your shows. Oh, thank (laughs) you. That's better than a like. Yeah, that is better than a like. That's better than clicking like, I'm telling you. (laughs) You can do both. Yeah, you can do both. Okay, Tell them to click like. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay, so she says, uh, work friends have been listening to your show and are wondering, how do people, pastor and priest, keep the Sabbath when it is their jobs to work on the Sabbath? This is a great question. So um, David talks about the fact that the priest... Uh, he works on the Sabbath, right? Is it David? No, it's uh, Paul. I forget. Anyway. Well, Yeshua cites the example of David that, getting the bread, the showbread, right. which was on a Sabbath, because that's when they pull the, that's when they pull the bread of the presence out. Right. Put the it, new one in and eat the bread that's been in the Mishkan for the whole week. But even the priests continue to work on the Sabbath. I think that that's, oh, right. yeah, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's cited by, I think by Christ. I could yeah. be wrong. And then um, also pastors. And I've ran into, I know Rob has too, we've ran into this this dilemma. Uh, you want to keep a Sabbath, but uh, if you are pastoring any kind of a congregation, you are working on the Shabbat. That's all there is to it. Uh, you know, we get to our church usually about an hour before uh, we start, and then we usually are last ones out. And so for us, it's not a three-hour event. It is a five- to six-hour event, which is most of the day. So all of that to say, yeah, it's, it, it is work. So what do we do with that? Well, there's a couple of things to say about this. Number one, obviously, if it's commanded by God, then it is uh, it's permissible. So the priesthood obviously has to continue to work on the Sabbath. And uh, the, the rabbis, not that the rabbis are always right by any stretch of the imagination, but the uh, rabbis have determined that uh, any, any kind of work in terms of studying the Bible, um, preaching, worshiping God, that's all permissible on the Sabbath uh, because it's to the glory of God. And I tend to side with that. I believe that, uh, I believe that pastors are doing... Uh, something that needs to be done, and uh, so are people in the choir, so are people, you know, deacons, so are the ushers. If you go to that kind of church, there's all sorts of different jobs that take place that uh, need to be done on the on the Sabbath, and that's permissible. Now, with that said, I am a firm believer that uh, pastors uh, and, of course, priests, which we don't have today, but uh, I don't believe we have today, uh, pastors should take an, another day off. 
So I, I think that uh, it's important to actually have a rest day with the family. And some might say, well, you get to rest at, you know, at church or at your Messianic synagogue or whatever. But uh, I, once again, n- knowing, doing that for long enough, I know that it's not, that's, it's not really rest. It's, it's very, it's draining. After, after our church on Saturday, we will come home and just kind of collapse on the, on the couch, just exhausted. What do you, what do you have to add to this conversation, Rob? Yeah, it's, um, you know, another example in the Torah, like there's the, what's called the Tamid, the, the Olat Tamid, which is the daily burnt offering, which means every single day there is a lamb at morning, whole burnt offering, meaning it's, they have to slot, they have to select the lamb. It's got to be inspected because it has to be Tamim, right? It has to be uh, without blemish. Right. They have to slaughter it. I mean, I don't know if any of our listeners here, I'm sure some have lived on a farm. They know what it, they know what's involved in slaughtering an animal. Well, every day in the morning, it's got to be skinned. It's the carcass has to be parsed up. It has to be placed, you know, rinsed, placed on the altar. That's a, in addition to the wood that has to, you know, they have to keep the fire going. And then they have to do that at the end of the day. So the, the daylight hours are marked by that every right. single day. Well, on the Shabbat, God says, yeah, add another one. Yeah, do more. So Don't just two. do that. Do more. <laughs> so there's two in the morning and two at night on Shabbat. Right. Uh, male lambs being slaughtered. So you could even say, just on the level of the what we call the Olah, the, the Olah Tamid, it's not just work is the same, that work doesn't cease. There's work that actually increases. And so... Yeah, what are I, we to learn from that? It, it's 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 a it's uh, does the nature of the work of God's servants for the is. sake of the flock, right? Does that uh, does that desecrate the holiness that God has declared concerning the seventh day from creation? I say no. It's part of it, it's part of that priestly. Um, service for the glorification of God. Now, okay, and, and now what you what you just said, in my opinion, yeah, I don't think, I think that common work is really what the Torah is talking about. So yeah, when, exactly. When, when, we, when, when we say you're not to work on the Sabbath, that doesn't mean that you're not allowed you're to trying do... to make a, you know, profit with your business. That's why, you know, business owners, you're supposed to like, you know what, we shut down the business. You and know? actually, in the, in the chat room, Promised Land says something uh, interesting. He says, and I, I don't want to put anybody down here, but I, I, I am going to push against this just a little bit. He says... Was he named that? That's the handle no, that, that he's I'm using. Kidding. What does promise... Or, what does uh, Jewish Orthodox community do on Shabbat? They seem to have a better take on it than we do. I would disagree with that. And, and here's the reason why. Here's the reason I disagree with that. We are to do things that are to the glory of God. Uh, I'll give you an example that would be completely against any Orthodox uh, community. There was a young woman who was in desperate need of diapers and food and other things that my wife and I learned about one one day. And it was a Sabbath. And uh, we went out and we bought her a huge amount of groceries. Now, that's not to build ourselves up, but we, her, she was out of diapers and she had three kids at home. And so we felt that it was more important to spend money on the on the Shabbat, to go into a store and spend money on the Shabbat, and give the, to this woman who is in need, a single mother, 
than it was to uh, uphold the the idea of not buying on Shabbat. And I think that we have precedents for that in, in the Torah, and we have precedents for that in the apostolic scriptures. Any Jewish community would say, no, you're not allowed to do that. You don't do that. You can't do that. So, and we even see this with, with Yeshua. He's healing on the Sabbath, right? And that's, it's not necessarily a matter of life and death, but it's a matter of, of human comfort in terms of healing. He's healing somebody. Um, and so all of this to say, I think that the Orthodox community is looking more at the letter of the law, but I think that as believers, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to understand that what, what the Sabbath is actually for is the glorification of God as a community. During the week, we are to glorify God in our work, we're to glorify God in our families, we're to glorify God, uh, you know, it's an individual and family glorification of God throughout the week. On the Sabbath, we come together as a community and we glorify God as a community. That's what we're supposed to do. Thoughts? Keep going? Sorry, I kind of cut you off, Rob, and I No, apologize. that's good. Yeah, I, I think that uh, back on the, you know, I would just... You know, it's it's my standard Van Hoff caveat, caveat or whatever is that we can't imagine that there is a monolithic right. orthodoxy in the Jewish world. Because I think if I heard it correctly, it's like the we versus they versus we. And uh, I'm not comfortable framing my, you know, my identity as a believer in terms of us and them. Uh, so it's just a personal thing. I, I, I pursue you know, a little more nuance. And so I would say, you know, I would want to acknowledge that even if you dove in to the Orthodox world, you're going to see differences in your, between groups, groups doing things that other Orthodox groups say, those guys, that's why we're not part of them because they do the A, B, and C. And they're all nitpicking over interpretation of halakha. And it has nothing to do with the conversation we're having. It has to do with uh, almost competitive stringency in some ways, like who can right. be the most stringent. I'm better. Th- I'm um, better. And at I can see how you, people Rob. in the people who are coming new in that maybe in the Christian world who are seeing value in the Sabbath might look and just get like a website from a Jewish rabbi or something and go, Oh, you know, they look at the way they honor the Sabbath. You know, you know, there's the famous book by Abraham Joshua Heschel, you know, the Sabbath and that excellent book, ta- by the way. It's a great book. I've talked to Mormons who love that book, yeah. right? That book has like it. It has it's reached all sorts of different faith people because it causes people to reflect on the Sabbath. However, that is, I, and I think that's good. Evoking conversation, any conversation about God's law and God's holiness and creation and our place in it is good. Sure, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna look to Heschel. Right. For, for like my acceptability before God. Right. That's, that's, that's what, you know, I'm, I'm part of Messiah's flock, you know, I mean, so, so, um, and then on the we side, you know, if it's us versus them, I, I don't know that if you pulled everybody listening right now, they're going to have different opinions as to like, some are going to be, yeah, Caleb, we've been in the same situation. You know, we would have done the same thing. We would have totally gone, you know, I knew a guy who showed up and he didn't have any, uh, he didn't have enough gas to get home. So I went and put gas in his tank, you know, and then there might be people listening and said, I can't believe you did that. You know that. Right. So, we, so and, but, we the, each but, have to, we each have to, we each, I look at it like this and we've talked about this more lately of how, how do our views shift and change as we, as we 
get more experience in life. I think God understands that we're growing, developing, and that the things we feel strongly about um, in one season of our life are going to be refined and changed yeah. as, as we're confronted with new information, new uh, priorities, new urgencies. And it doesn't mean our love for his law has shifted. It means that we're growing, hopefully, you know, to be more fruitful for his kingdom as we go. And that's why I don't think we're, you know, we're really warned in scripture of judging other believers. But And, now, and ultimately what you're talking about comes back to the notion of ask your, I mean, in Judaism, they say, ask your local, your local yeah, rabbi. Yeah. What and, community, what, what community yeah. it, it, are you, you know, networked with you know are you tied with and uh and that's a yeah that's a, that's where you go first don't go to some it, you know i've I had this back and forth for a while with a guy who was strongly following a couple orthodox rabbis and he was like vacillating on his faith because he's like yeah but he had no real relationship right. no he had never even talked to any of these guys on the phone or, or had any relationship in in conversation it was all just reading their materials and he was so, and I'm like, well, how do you know which, which rabbis you even want to listen to? It's like, it's all, and the problem is there is the feedback loop of just finding what, tick, what itches your tickling ears. You see and, what I mean? And the, the, what you're talking about right now gets into a completely different matter, which is the importance of community, right? The importance of having a community to, uh, to, to sharpen each other. And Lee in the in the chat room says, I think there are, can be exceptions for medical professionals and law enforcement. Yeah, this gets back to, uh, you know, the six day war. Uh, Israel was attacked on one of the high holy days oh, because, Yom Kippur, yeah, yeah, because they because their enemies thought, well, they won't they won't have a standing army during Yom Kippur. This was not the case, and uh, and ultimately we need to have. Uh, military, police officers, you know, medical staff on there. Actually, uh, at my father's community recently, I think it was last Hanukkah, uh, somebody actually collapsed and they had to do CPR and everything on him uh, until the EMT got there. So, I mean, obviously having those kind of workers on staff is is hopefully it wasn't needed. the person eating too much uh uh what vodka's oh, oh my oh, heart <laughs> yeah all right let's let's move on uh because we actually have more in this uh category so this was just a off-handed kind of comment on one of our uh videos that where we were talking about the sabbath and i don't ex exactly remember what we were talking about but Happy Holy Healthy Life is the handle. Uh, comment, commented and said, I thought the Torah said you can't travel or leave your house on the Sabbath. Uh, so well, that's referring to Exodus when it had to do with the manna. Right. I've talked to people too that they used that passage from like, what is it, Exodus 16 to say, oh, you, you're not supposed to go because it's, you know, you're, you're not supposed to go out from, you know, from your place. Right. But in my view, what we need to do is just look at the context. And it has to do with people kept going out to gather manna on the seventh day. And right. I completely agree like, with you. It's like, look, no, you're not supposed to, go, you know, you're not hearing, you know, you store up on the sixth day and then you stay home. But, but that's before Sinai. That's before right. the promised land. I mean, so... Uh, and not only I've, that, but but we see we see the example of Yeshua, well, yeah, exactly, going yeah, exactly. about on the on the Sabbath, right? They even go through the grain fields, 
And uh, so, I mean, it's not like he's staying in his place. And, and beyond that, what is the Sabbath called in the Torah? The Sabbath is called a Mikrachodesh, a holy <laughs> gathering. And so the notion that you would stay, everyone would stay in their place and not leave their place is impossible if you want to uh, observe the commandment to gather, which I think it is a commandment. So I, I was hoping that was going to be quick. I think that that was a, a sufficient enough did we touch on all the points of Nelda's uh, question? I, I don't so remember. she, yeah, she was asking about pastor and priest. I think that we we should also be able to expand this a little bit. You know, I get this question a lot uh, for people who are just coming into a want and understanding that they they should be keeping the Sabbath. People say to me, and maybe this is where where we should expand Nelda Bell's uh, comment a little bit. They'll say to me, "Well, I've been working for and." Actually, this has happened a couple of times in this specific profession. I've been working for the post office for, you know, 20 years, and we have to work on Saturday. What do I do? You know, there is no good, uh, there's no good answer that I can give you on this. If you have a pastor or a leader who is uh, Sabbath observant, then I would definitely talk to them about it. But I think that also it is a process. You know, a lot of the time, we uh, come to an understanding. We want to do it all right now. You know, right. I remember, I remember in my early twenties, I decided I was going to start doing devotions because I hadn't been doing any devotions, and I decided, well, I should be doing you know an hour or two a day. Well, that quickly went to the wayside because I had not built up to an hour or two a day of doing any devotions, and eventually I wasn't doing any again. And so the point is, is you know, we start we start small, start and build up. And honestly, I think that when it comes to things like the Sabbath, if you've been working for 20 years, it's it's that can be a rough transition, not just for you, but also for your employer. And so the very first thing that we do is take it to God. We, we have to pray and have other be, people be, be praying for us in that regard in terms of, um, you know, asking God to, to have your employer um, have some exception or find somebody else who can work on on Saturdays or try to work on Sunday instead or something like that. Um, so and eventually there have been miraculous stories that I have heard of people um, getting Saturdays off when there was no chance that they were ever going to do that. So God does work in miraculous ways and I think that we can take it before him. Okay, let's uh, yeah one, one last note yep. on that is, because I, all I know is my own experience, you know, and my own experience was, you know, I had a job that I had to work on Saturdays. This was like in the mid nineties, you know, when I was starting to come into that conviction and I didn't grow up in a, you know, I, I didn't grow up. It, it was new. It was all new stuff. I grew up in a traditional, I was still occasionally going to a, a Sunday church, you know, but I, but I was like, I was in that zone of conflict we even had the pastor of that church came and visit us and I, it didn't go well, came to our home and it ended up being that we were just under the law, you know, and I was trying, yeah. I, at that point I was being very, I, I was just trying to share my love for the scripture and trying to, you know, I didn't know any of the languages then, you know, I didn't understand history like i do now of course you know i was just a babe i was a wee babe yeah i'm still a i'm i think i'm an infant now but i was i was a babe then and anyway i remember at, at that same time in life it was like wow my conscience was bothering me working on shabbat right and 
it was a slow process for me. And I remember going through that conversation and being per- and nervous about it. And, and like, what's going to, what are the consequences? I was scared. Like, you know, so all those things are real emotional things, sure. but what I would encourage people who, if you're in that is to make sure you discern, make sure it's not someone outside you telling you, you need to do this or you're not saved. Or you need, like, if you're, if you're responding out of pressure to, uh, what do they call that? Like to, to belong to a certain group and they're pressuring you. Like if you're feeling that, if you're feeling condemnation from a social group, if you don't behave a certain way, I would just, I would say all the more, you know, distance yourself a little bit from that group and, and go back to prayer because it might be, yeah, the God, God's working on you to change your schedule, work schedule, and he's going to bless you as you pursue him. But you want that growth to be real growth. You want that to be real spiritual growth between you. And if you're married, you know, your family and, and the Lord, not you acting out of fear of man of acceptability by a certain group, because that's, that's not God leading you. If you're, if you're responding out of fear of man to be accepted, you, you know, the scripture warns us time and time again against fear of God versus fear of man. So right. I just wanted to share that a little so, bit. So two, two quick things here. Um, number one is I would also encourage people, if the Lord, if you are looking for a new job and you have been convicted to keep, keep a Sabbath on Saturdays, that needs to be crystal clear to your employer when, you, like when you're looking for a job. And then no budging on it, in my opinion. Uh, you know, once you say, well, um, you know, well, I guess I'll work this Saturday for you because you're in a pinch, that will begin to like that, pull on that thread. And, uh, you know, pretty soon you'll be working on Shabbat. The second thing is, is uh, somebody in the chat room says, couldn't you have bought uh, the woman groceries after the Sabbath? Uh, yes, I could have. However, if you have children, especially if you have babies that don't have diapers, trust me. You want diapers. There's, I mean, it's, I have kids and I have two children in diapers right now. And uh, not having diapers is a, a major problem. It is. And so, I, I mean, I felt that it was beyond warranted. Not only that, but this, uh, the, the woman in question at the time didn't have any food in her house. When we, when we realized the situation, we got called because uh, we didn't, I didn't even know the lady. Um, we got called because somebody was desperate to help this woman, and she was in a. It had gone down the the chain a, a ways. We were not the first person called, so okay. Let's move on. Uh, we're gonna stay on this, but move shift the uh, the focus a little bit. Matthew writes in on this was also on a. YouTube video. So this is a comment on a YouTube video. This is interesting. He says, anyone not keeping the seventh day Sabbath is deceived by Satan and probably not even saved. Now, uh, and then he quotes, uh, and then he cites Daniel 7.25. Now let's just go quickly to Daniel 7.25 and um, see what it says. It says, he shall speak. I apologize for that. Let me turn my ringer off. I thought it was. This is there. the fourth kingdom, right? Is this 
Uh, start back a little earlier. Yeah, you? let's start in 23. So uh, Daniel 723 says, Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of, his, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So uh, I think the obvious, um, what's obviously happening here is the person uh, who is saying this, uh, Matthew is saying that according to Daniel 7.25, um, a person who uh, doesn't keep the Sabbath is not saved. Now, ultimately, we could look at Daniel, right? We could look at the book of Daniel and we could try to exegete Daniel. Um, but I think that this actually is, I think what I want to focus on here rather is the person is probably not saved. I think that this is actually one of the, so when the broader Christian community looks at those in the Torah movement and say, these people are legalists, this is why. The notion that uh, you can do works, and ultimately uh, it's a bigger issue, and I know people are, uh, people are not going to like this, but this goes back to what I would consider a, a, the logical conclusion of Arminian theology. And the reason I say that is because if you can lose your theo- if you can lose your salvation, that means that if you can do works that will make you no longer saved. So therefore, the logical the logical counter to that is that you can do works that keep you saved and or save you. So uh, I completely reject this. Um, beyond just that notion that works save you, which this person is essentially saying, this person Matthew is essentially saying that works save you because if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not saved. Um, the ultimately, uh, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, this just goes. To, ultimately, this just goes to works-based salvation. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons that, that uh, many within the mainstream Christian movement are saying, no, uh, keeping, the, keeping the Torah is not, you know, this is legalistic. It is legalistic if you think that, that, that that's going to save you. We are saved by one work, and that work is the death uh, of, of Christ, the death, the, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And so uh, I think that, uh, I, I mean, I think that this is a major, major theological issue. But what I was going to say, beyond all of this, there are places where I am wrong when it comes to Torah observance, when it comes to the law. There are places where this person, Matthew, is wrong when it comes to observance of the law. There are places where Rob is wrong when it comes to observance of the law. We are humans. We are not perfect. And you know, I think it was Luther, maybe it was Calvin who first said, uh, 30% of what I believe is not true. I just don't know what 30% it is. That's N.T. Wright. I well, N.T. Wright sure. is quoting, though. I think he, I think he quotes Luther. Um, but anyway, the, the point is, is that there are plenty of things that we do that are not going to be in line with the Torah. And if that means that we're no longer saved because we have done things against the Torah, then no one is saved. And that's... I mean, that's a huge problem. Okay, I've spoken enough. Go for it. 
Well, uh, the passage from Daniel 7 is a good one. Um, and, you know, it's one to people pounce on when it comes to eschatology, because the question is, who is the fourth, who is the fourth beast? And, um, you know, in the, in the medieval rabbinic tradition, this was, remember, because this is not, quote, New Testament, this is part of the Tanakh, it was taken as Islam. Uh, it was taken by some as what they call Esau, as Rome, um, but also as Islam. And so to, it's, you know, an ongoing thing. What exactly is uh, this fourth beast? And the, the, the idea of, of changing times and law, uh, this is not the word Torah, just so people know. This is in Aramaic. Remember, half of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic. It's the word dot, which is from the Persian word law. And it could very well refer to, um, you know, it could be a, a, an Aramaic understanding that it's referring to God's law. Um, but it, what's evident here, it's he will, he will seek to change. He will try to change. It, it it says it's what given to given into his power, you know, for for this season of time. So, but we we know that it it's not. I, I don't take it as Rome. I don't take it as as the Rome, even the Roman Catholicism, even though Roman Catholicism might have elements of this. Um, I don't take it as the evangelical church you know, trying to change, right? Um, because we, we have it even in the time of the Maccabees, right? In the second century BC, we have this kind of thing happening. We have uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, right? Trying to, you know, get Jews to abandon the the law, the tradition of their elders or of their ancestors, etc. So, um, yeah, world rulers, you know, imagining themselves having divine power and, you know, trying to institute new calendars or whatever, that's going to be part of being in the world. Um, the question is, are, what about the saints of the most high? And the saints of the most high are, are not rattled by that. Yeah, they're going to experience persecution, but, and, and difficulty and, and you know, immense trial and tribulation in, trying to, you know, stay faith, you know, living faithful to God's law while in all the noise and difficulties of, of the situation in the world. But I, I just don't see justification to just hotwire this passage in Daniel 7 to the claim. All, uh, all of a sudden you're talking about the Sabbath, which is not mentioned, and you're, you're mentioning people's salvation, which is not mentioned. Um, so in my view, that's a hotwire of an idea to a passage of scripture that is, it's not really called for. So there is, I mean, there is a lot going on in the chat room right now and that's, that's great. So first of all, looking, so first, I, first of all, I want to just address a couple of things. First of all, Michael says, Caleb, does it matter which version of Armenian Arminianism you are referring to? Yes, actually it does. So he says, uh, Jacobus, Wesley, Tozer, there, uh, that, or do you think they affirm the possibility of apostasy? So, um, I agree with you that there are different flavors of of Arminian theology for sure. In fact, um, the uh, the Synod of Dort 
um, is really there are those within the Arminian camp who said you can't lose your salvation. So certainly there is a difference within theology. However, I think that a lot of people today, as we are seeing in the chat room, say that you can lose your salvation, that if a person can become saved and then become unsaved. And ultimately, this comes down to works-based salvation, in my opinion. It, it, in my opinion, it is the logical conclusion to this theology that if you can do things that will lose your salvation, it means that your salvation is then based on works and the things that you do. And to me, that is a works-based salvation. Um, the other thing, I mean, we have several other things going on in here. Uh, first of all, people are debating whether or not uh, the, the Rome is, is really what's being talked about here in the, in the uh, what is it, the fourth horn or whatever it is, uh, in that Daniel passage. But the one that's really interesting to me here is uh, somebody says, Paul, Leviticus 23.2 uses the English word feast in the KJV and other English translations, but the Hebrew word for feast, chag, is not used there. Uh, for the Shabbat is not a feast. Uh, okay, I, I understand that the word Chag is not used in reference to the Sabbath. However, it is called Amicha Chodesh, and it is listed among the uh, the holidays, the festivals. There's only, technically, there's only three Chagim. Right, right. Pesach, Shavuot, and um, Sukkot. And Sukkot. Right. So, so there are other major festivals that are not weekly sabbaths that are also not called hug so yeah uh and finally the last thing that i want to address here is um the john 17 project says so caleb how do you address the eternal sin of blaspheming the holy spirit which was spoken about by yeshua this is a good question and i will fully admit that i am not 100 percent uh, settled on this, uh, on what this is. However, I currently tend to lean towards my father, Tim Hegg's understanding of this. Uh, my father has written a article on the uh, sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He contends that it was not something that uh, is... That it's uh, not possible today. It's not possible today. That it was uh, the people who were seeing the works uh, done by Christ in front of them and uh, were attributing it to demons. Um, and I, there was an operational temple and priesthood. Right. And you had optimal knowledge of Torah. Like ne um, today, you, d you could go to your best rabbis and stuff like that. It's all imaginary. They've never seen a temple Right. They've never seen them. Like we, you know, the brand new person who reads the Bible, you know, has just as much access to everything pertaining to the temple as your most learned rabbi, right? Yeah. Big goose egg, zilch. And so it's, it's only through study and learning do we start to, to appreciate what that is. But that wasn't the case in the first century. In the first century, you had uh, people that of in all of history should have known better. So uh, Mr. Young is in the chat room, and he says, the Lamb's Book of Life was written in pencil just in case we need to erase some names. This is, I mean, actually, I, it's, I, I hear the humor, of course, in my good friend's uh, comment. However, it brings up a good point. The names written in the Book of Life are written in blood. They are not 
erasable, in my opinion. And I think that that is, uh, I think that that's spoken of in scripture. Okay, let's let's move on. Let's keep going because there's actually more to this conversation. And uh, this comes from Brandon, who is in the chat room. Brandon says this, and and I don't know if he expected me to talk about this on air or not, but uh, I think it's a good enough comment that we should uh, we should talk about it because this shows me, you know, oftentimes we are currently in the ninth season of Messiah Matters, and this reminds me that sometimes we have people who are new and or people who have not gone through the festivals before. Uh, some of the things that we take for granted are things that people are just now uh, starting to look at. And so we need to remember that and we need to uh, continue to come back to some of the foundational elements of what what we believe and, and why we believe them. Brandon says this, he says in this first day, he's talking about Sukkot, by the way, and this is actually going to play into um, a little bit into our Sabbath discussion. But uh, he says in the first day, actually the day before you start counting the seven days of the feast. So he's once again, Sukkot, in which you take the bows of the, tr- the boughs of the tree, as you said, it was traditional to do it before. Yeah, so uh, traditionally the sukkah is made in between the time of Yom Kippur and the time of Sukkot. And there's actually a good reason, I mean, we, I think Rob and I could probably talk for uh, several shows about the significance of the uh, festivals, and maybe we'll do a little bit of that here. But um, yeah, so the festival of Yom Kippur happens, and then we come into this festival of Sukkot. So he goes on. Leviticus 23, 40 says, And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. This is actually a debate among people, at least in my congregation. Uh, it has been a debate among people in our congregation. Uh, what does it mean? Because uh, within Judaism, they're going to bring in what's called the lulav and the etrog, and uh, they're going to bring them in and they're going to wave them uh, in different directions to fulfill this commandment in Leviticus 23, uh, 40. And they're going to do that because ultimately what this command is saying is bring uh, the standard branches and and, uh, produce kind of things from the land that you're in. In other words, from Israel and bring them into the su- sukkah to show that you uh, that you are now in the land. In other words, you're not wandering in the desert anymore. So the, the debate in our congregation has been, should it be these specific boughs that are talked of in this passage? Or should we bring in, since we're in the Pacific Northwest, should we bring in pine cones and, and mm. uh, you know, uh, evergreen boughs and stuff like that? And so it's kind of a fun little de- debate that we that we have. Uh, he goes on. Also, in script, uh, also, scripture says the festival is seven days, and this is actually what I really want to get to here. Uh, Leviticus twenty three thirty nine says also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have, uh, he's using the King James. I'm so not used to this, so I'm sorry if I stumble over it. When ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. End quote from the Bible, back to Brandon. But then it speaks of the eighth day being a Sabbath. Is this Sabbath not a part of the seven days? This is excellent. This is such a good question. And it's really, I think, actually one of the most important questions that a person can ask about Sukkot. Why? Okay, we have 
uh, there are two times within the Torah that we see the eighth day being really important. It is the day of circumcision. We are to uh, circumcise male uh, males on the eighth day, and then the eighth day of Sukkot, which is not actually the eighth day of Sukkot. So we need to talk a little bit, and interrupt me at any point, Rob, we need to talk a little bit about the eighth day and the seven days. Sukkot is actually only seven days long, and what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to dwell in or sit in these booths, and it's supposed to remind us of the wandering in in the the, the desert, right? Well, why were we wandering in the desert for 40 years? Israel was wandering in the desert for 40 years because they rejected the covenant. And then after the 40 years, what happens? They come into the land because the next generation actually accepts the covenant and they get baptized into the Jordan and they come into the land. And so the eighth day is actually a sign of eternity. That is that this earth is represented in the seven days. So we are in a booth that is temporary and will quickly be taken down. And on the eighth day, we come into this celebration, which is representative of eternity with Christ. Interestingly, what is the uh, sign of circumcision? I have argued, uh, and I'm pretty confident myself, that uh, circumcision is a sign of the virgin birth. And so we come to eat the Passover lamb, which is a representation of Christ. We have to be circumcised, which is a representation of the virgin birth which is done on the eighth day, which also represents eternity. So when we come into the covenant through Christ, when we uh, are saved through the blood of the Messiah, which is all represented on Passover, uh, then we come through the Day of Atonement, and we come to this seven-day festival. And on the eighth day, because we have been entered into this covenant through the Messiah who came through a virgin birth, we are then able to come into the eighth day representing eternity. And all of these blocks fit together. It's, I mean, all of the festival blocks are just, they fit real nicely into their perfect, into this perfect picture of Christ and and the believers coming to Christ and uh, being baptized uh, and then having that atonement made and then coming into eternity. What have I missed, Rob? I, I have nothing to add. No. No, good job. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, we have a catechism, right? Right. And it's the, it's the yearly, yearly feasts laid out and it's, it, it's repeated because we need it. We need repetition, you know, just like it's just our human condition. We need to have renewal. And Paul says, you know, have your, we need minds. This of, Keep yourself unspotted from the world. That is laboring and meditating on God's word. That is uh, uh, being in fellowship with other believers who are doing the same. And back to the just Sukkot specifically, the, the focus is on joy. He says, you will, you'll only have joy. Well, I think a lot of, it seems like a lot of people have lost, like, what does joy even feel like? Like, right. what is, what does it mean to have the joy of thy salvation, it says, right, in Psalm 51. Um, restore unto me, he says, David, King David says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And that's after his sin with, with Bathsheba, if you go and look at that. And what is the, and it's a, that's like a top thing, you know, in the prophets, it says that the, there will be everlasting joy right. on their foreheads. Like, what the heck are they talking about? Like, what, what is this joy? And um, I think, 
that at the end of the feast year, if you, if we start, like we're talking about Pesach, where we're redeemed from sin and death and slavery, and we're taken out and we're, we're separated from that world and we're cleaned off and we're, we're washed and we're given new, a new heart, right? The new heart of God's law. And then we come and recognize that while we're in this world, sin matters. And, and we have, we hear that blowing of that shofar of, of Yom Teruah says, you know, there is a, a justice will be done in this world and good will be called good and the guilty will be condemned. And it's to, to stir up that fear of God and to remember that we stand before a holy and just and righteous and amazing, beautiful, majestic, eternal creator. And we're not getting to Sukkot if we don't make it through Yom Kippur, you know what I mean? Like we're not getting there. Um, and we, and so, and the whole process is one where we learn who our redeemer, who the creator is, who the redeemer is, what is, what is his heart? What is his love for us? What is his love? Well, for Israel and, and for us as part of Israel. And so that back to that joy, we experience joy individually and we experience joy in family and we experience joy in communities celebrating not joys for things in the world, uh, but joys for the things that the father's heart, uh, you know, is uh, his evaluation of what is joy. And so, um, yeah, I liked your point about the, you know, the temporality of the sukkah, you know, and, and if, here again, we're going to have all, you know, Lord willing, we'll have time to talk about this over this next year as we go through these feasts. But um, yeah, that's so we just got what riffing on that. Got a couple of things going on in the chat room. Uh, first, according to the Lunar Sabbath doctrine, the eighth day of the month is always a Shabbat. That's like saying, according to the Mormon doctrine, something is the Shabbat. It, I mean, Lunar Sabbath is absolutely r- ridiculous. Uh, the John 17 Project says, I have heard a teacher speaking uh, about Sukkot, and he suggested that uh, maybe when Messiah was born. He wasn't sure about that, but said it made sense since the feasts are about Messiah. What say you? I agree completely that the that the festival of Sukkot is a celebration of God coming in the form of man and dwelling with his people. John even says in his first gospel, and the word became flesh and tabernacled with his people. So I completely agree that this is what should be the focus of Sukkot. Whether or not Yeshua was born on Sukkot, I have done a lot of work on this. There's absolutely no way anybody can say that he was born on Sukkot. There is a three-month window both in the spring and in the fall of when Yeshua could have been born. And this, uh, people try to say this because of the um, the the different uh, rotations of priests. We know what rotation Zechariah was in in uh, in Luke uh, when he was in the temple, but uh, that could be on any one of the festivals, and it could also be one of two times not on a festival time, which would have been either in the spring or the fall. And then you have uh, very vague ideas of. And around this time, she went to go be with Elizabeth or, um, you know, how long is a gestational period for a woman? You know, people well, not, want- not only that. Yes, I, I agree. But we also have to, how many times throughout the Gospels? It tells us when. Yeah. And it was Passover. Right. And it was unleavened bread. Like if we were supposed to really know it, it would just say. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was Pentecost, right? Uh, Acts chapter two. Like when when we're supposed to know for sure, scripture just tells, tells us, us, right? Yep. <laughs> So, so I'm I mean, happy with that. The, I'm happy with not knowing. The fact of the matter is, is that I have, if people want to believe that Yeshua was born on Sukkot, that's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, but but I ha- what I do have a problem with is when teachers try to put it forward as if it's fact. Like, oh, we've, and this happens often. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we can, we can calculate the days and it's obvious that, that Yeshua was born on Sukkot. Beyond this, you don't know if it was a leap year or not. You don't know when Sukkot was. We don't know those things. We don't, we, there's just not information that way. So, um, yeah, uh, anyway, all of that to say, we need to go to, uh, love is bigger has given us a super chat. And so we are going to say thank you by doing, uh, this weights and measures. <laughs> we do not get a lot of humor here. And when we do, it's wonderful. You've been blessed. All righty. Should we look at one more? Let's see here. Um, yeah, let's do one more. Okay. Michael says this. He says, you guys seem to be... This is on whether or not... Uh, this was on a video on whether or not... Uh, I think it was on the Hebrew language. He says, you guys seem to be really sure of yourselves. I believe the Hebrew language is prophetic because there's n- too many meanings in coincidence in coincidences that aren't coincidences, if you get my point. The Hebrew language is the language God chose as he chose Israel to bring his history or his story. And so in that context, what is said and meant in that language has supernatural meaning and power. These other countries or regions co-opted and adopted language and may have taken the et, but when it's not given by God and taken by man, it would eventually get corrupted. God bless. Here's the problem, Michael, and I know that there are going to be people who disagree with this, but the major problem with this is God didn't only choose Hebrew. He chose Aramaic and he chose Greek to speak well, to the Well, not only the that, there's, there's, we have in, in the Hebrew Bible alone, I mean, one of our good friends... Uh, uh, ben Noonan, Dr. Ben Noonan, did his dissertation right. um, at Hebrew Union College on the the Akkadian, the Persian, the Egyptian, the Hittite, you know, language that we find throughout the Hebrew. Like, and that's become a book, by the way. You can buy that book now. Yeah, it's not a uniform language it's the length the torah was given in the language of humans and I, this god, is, god did not god did not give moses a design for an iphone and how to how to create internet right it, it's rather he communicated yes he chose but he didn't choose hebrew first he chose people and then he used the language of those people to communicate his covenant, uh, his his sovereignty, his his plan for salvation to that people. Um, it's not like he chose Hebrew first and then Israel later. Okay, sorry, I was typing and I and I needed to say something in there, um, but yeah, that <clears throat> I don't. Et, I, yeah, I, so he's trying to say that there is a. a like somehow significance 
for the et. Well, if there's a, design, a divine significance for every letter of the Torah, then, then the et is not special. It's, it's just another, it's just a word. You can't take one word out and say it's more special than all the other words. I, I, um, here's the thing. I don't want to It sounds be... like someone who actually, I, I would just wonder if this person, do you, like, have you learned Hebrew? Like that, and and well, that that's what I was going to say is okay. that is that I don't want to you know try to bash someone. This isn't this isn't to be mean in any way. But a comment like this tends to come from people, tends to come from people who have not actually studied the languages or even the history of the Hebrew language or the history of the texts that we have. That and have. I would be I would also say I'm I'm concerned as to what teachers you're listening to. Sorry, but I got to say that. Yeah. And ultimately one of the reasons that he's, I, I mean, the, the comment comes in this way. What does he say? He says, uh, you guys seem to be really sure of yourselves. It's not sure of ourselves. It's that, you know, Rob has, we know who Messiah is. Rob. Well, maybe, <laughs> we know, and, well, we know maybe, Messiah. Michael, hey, let, maybe Michael does too. But the, but the point is, is that Rob has spent a significant amount of time studying and learning in, uh, about language and about these specific languages. And I'm, I haven't spent nearly as much time as Rob has, but I stand on the, on the scholarship and on the understanding of the people that, uh, have come before me and in a, I would say a fairly, uh, well-learned understanding of the history of these languages and of the text. And it just seems to me that a person who would say, uh, something about Hebrew like this has not understood the full breadth of, um, the, the various texts in the Bible, <clears throat> Daniel, the book of Daniel, actually going back to that, hang on just a sec. Going back to the book of Daniel uh, is actually this book has a significant amount of loan words in it. So it's not just Hebrew. We're talking about, and part of it's written in Aramaic. And so to say that Hebrew is the, uh, you know, is this special mystical language really tends to discount um, part of the Tanakh. Beyond that, no matter what anyone tells you, the apostolic scriptures, that is the New Testament, it was written in Greek. And God used Greek, the lingua franca of the time, to convey his words. And uh, I think that this is... Just like he used Aramaic in the time of Daniel, because in the Persian period, Aramaic was the administrative language of the Persian Empire, which was from India all the way to, like, I don't know how far west, but, you know... All the way to the Mediterranean, and Sh and Shlomi says something. He says uh, rabbinic exegesis employs the method of sod, a mystical interpretation of Torah with numerical value of Hebrew letters. I would actually correct this as well. It's not rabbinical exegesis. It's modern rabbinical exegesis. It's this is a this is a modern rabbinical invention, and it's incorrect. The the this form of exegesis. Uh, and interpretation is simply wrong. And not only is it wrong, but it's very modern. They weren't doing this in Yeshua's time. It's, I mean, it, it, they just weren't. And they weren't even doing it up until... And and, and Yeshua never taught this way, right? Right, I mean, exactly. No, yeah. Um, well, neither did the... The only, the only did the, time we neither, have... Neither did the rabbis in the, the Mishnah. Neither did the rabbis have. in the Mishnah or the Talmud. Well, there is... They do start dabble. They, they do, do start getting into some gematria. But... 
even the word gematria is a Greek term. So you have to realize this is a, you know, the Greeks were using letters for numbers before Jews were. So it's, it's not even a, a, a Hebrew idea, you know? Um, so it, we just got to be really careful on this. You know, there is coded language like in the book of revelation where it, it where it has numbers that represent a name. And of course, but even then you have a whole bunch of uh, interpretations of what is the number of the beast. We've done shows on that, but the point is even then it is in a time, it's just to be cryptic for the sake of probably for the sake of, of communicating uh, code language, you know, just between people who already know the code. It's not to, it's not a concealed, um, you know, cosmic mystery to, you know, kind of thing in my view. All right. That's going to do it for us today. We sure appreciate all the people in the chat room and all the conversations that's been going on. It's really interesting to watch. And um, if you have a chance and you're listening to this in podcast, if you ever have a chance, go over and check out this show on YouTube. Because ultimately, uh, you get to see all the wonderful people in the chat room and all of the conversations that go on. Okay. Uh, if you want to be a part of the conversation, please do so. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Also, you can send us email, chegatorresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. All righty. We'll be back uh, next week. And uh, this time, I think I have the actual right music to say goodbye to everybody. Uh, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.